Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. This is the Falcoholic Podcast, the official podcast of the Atlanta Falcons on the SB Nation Podcast Network. I'm David Walker, and on today's podcast, I'm joined by the one and only Aaron Freeman of the Locked On Falcons Podcast. Aaron, thanks for joining me. Always uh, look forward to our chats, DW. Uh, Awesome. Uh, Today, Aaron and I are going to focus on that first round pick for the Falcons. Of course, we're talking about pick number four in the 2021 NFL Draft. We're right at about two weeks away. By the time you guys hear this podcast, it will probably be right at two weeks. Uh, April 29th, Thursday night, we'll kick off the NFL draft. I know Aaron and I are ready to move on from draft talk, but we're going to hit you with one last conversation on this podcast at least. Uh, So let's dive in. And Aaron, you know, as I mentioned to you earlier, I want to talk about just the options at pick four. You know, we've seen endless mock drafts. I almost think it's somewhat pointless to do anything outside of the first round because you have no idea who's going to fall. Uh, you have no idea how, you know, who's going to be available in the second round, third round, so on and so forth. You know, there's projections and whatnot. Um, but every now and then, you know, a GM goes off and, and, and drafts a player like Lamar Holmes in the, in the third round and surprises everybody. Um, but I want to talk about that number four pick and some of the options there. Obviously, Quarterback is one of the ones we're going to save that for the last part of the podcast. But I want to talk about the one that a lot of people have been talking about recently. And really because the 49ers shook up everything by doing it first. Uh, and that is trading down. You know, the 49ers made that massive trade with uh, Miami, uh, giving up, you know, several future first round picks to move up from 12 to three. Uh, and that sort of got, I think, Falcons fans excited about the idea of trading down as a possibility from four. And now it looks like that we're going to have three straight quarterbacks come off the board. Uh, you know, Lawrence is almost certainly going to number one. Everyone will be shocked if he doesn't. Uh, it looks like Wilson, uh, quarterback out of the BYU, will go number two to the Jets. At least that's the speculation right now. Of course, that is subject to change. And of course, I think if you're the 49ers, you're not giving up future first-round picks to go up for a tight end. I, <laughs> I think we can all agree they're probably looking for a quarterback as well. So Falcons trading down. Um, what are your thoughts on how the 49ers trade may have disrupted the potential market for the Falcons at number four? Yeah, I think that's a great question because I, I feel like – the Falcons would love for someone to offer them a similar package as what the 49ers offered them yeah, um, and give them multiple first round picks over the next couple of years, be in a situation where they might get several picks this year and on day two. Um, I think that's ideally what the Falcons want. They're, they're hoping someone's going to blow them away. We heard the reports that say that the 49ers were talking to the Falcons about making that trade at the time when they made it with the Dolphins. But because the Falcons wanted to see how the board went 
at the top of the draft and the Dolphins were willing to make that move right away that the 49ers wound up trading with Miami instead for that number three overall pick. So I personally have thought all along that the three teams most likely to trade up into the draft for a quarterback were Carolina one, Mm -hmm. San Francisco two, and New England number three. And we knew Carolina and Atlanta were never going to swap. And now because Carolina has now seemingly secured their quarterback, at least of right now and Sam Darnold, they don't seem like a team that's going to go up for a quarterback. Maybe they still take one with that eighth overall spot if one is there for them. But that trade was out the window. Now that the 49ers have made their move, that trade is out the window. So to me, I I remain skeptical of the probability of a Falcons trade back, even though I think that's really what they want to do. Um, just because the last team in New England is a team that is not known for making these big, bold moves that is going to require the draft capital that it would require in order to get up to that number four overall selection. But then again, you know, I keep getting reminded and I have to begrudgingly acknowledge it that it's very unpatriot like for them to be as aggressive in free agency as they were this past March. So it is one of those things where I still remain skeptical because I think given the as you laid out that we're going to have three quarterbacks taken someone sitting there you know whether it's new england or another team there's been recent rumors about washington being another team in the mix i know denver has been a team that has been pushed a lot um lately unless someone is absolutely in love with whoever that fourth quarterback is that is going to be sitting there on the board when the falcons are picking and they feel like that player is significantly better than whoever is QB5 on their board and left remaining it doesn't make a ton of sense in my eyes for that team to give up what they have to give up to go to 4 to trade with the falcons if they're in a scenario where teams like detroit at 7, carolina at 8 and possibly even denver at 9 they can go and get a quarterback at that range where you would probably be able to save yourself at least one first round pick in the future. Um, So I I think logically it doesn't seem like I'm just basically, you know, and maybe it's just years and years of being a Falcon fan and um, (laughs) teaching myself to lower my expectations so I don't get disappointed. But I just think, even though I think that's ideally the scenario that the Falcons would like to see, I am not a big believer that someone is going to come and blow their doors away on draft night with a trade, but you never know. The the, the NFL is always so uh, unpredictable. And last year we saw like no trades at the top of the draft, even though uh, they were endlessly speculating, including speculating about the Falcons going up and getting guys. So I I wonder if that was just a one-off or, you know, will we get a repeat of that uh, this year? So it's going to be fascinating to watch. And and certainly we're all going to be waiting with bated breath as the Falcons get on the board and whether or not they're going to pull the trigger on one of the players that we're going to talk about today or wind up trading back and wind up picking somebody that no one has been talking about at all for the last three months and completely surprises. <laughs> yeah. It, which honestly, I mean, that is the fun part of the draft, right? It's, it's, there is always some sort of curveball that gets thrown in the middle of the, the draft. And it usually happens somewhere in the top 10, like you see a Mitch Trubisky go early and you're like, what was that? Um, that's, that's part of what makes the draft fun, I, I think. And that's what the NFL loves to tap into. And certainly to that point, I'm sure they have their people sort of pumping up the idea of, you know, all these endless trades and uh, it, it keeps the interest high. 
Um, that said, you know, after the Falcons at four, you've got the Bengals, uh, the Dolphins. Neither of those teams at five or six seem likely to go quarterback given their uh, recent drafts. Um, the Lions, I think at seven, maybe is the first team you could look at and say, okay, they might be in for a quarterback if one falls to them that they like. Uh, I don't think that they're inclined to trade up. As you mentioned, the Panthers, I think they're also uh, in that same mix where they could take one if, if it falls to them. And the Broncos, you know, it, it, I guess it just depends on what you think about uh, Drew Locke at this point. Really, and you mentioned it, the teams that I think are really interesting from a QB standpoint are sort of in the middle of the first round. They're not in that top 10. Um, the Vikings at 14, you know, do they really think that their future is going to be uh, is currently on the roster? Um, do they want to start thinking long term about the quarterback position? Uh, do you believe in Kirk Cousins? Um, the Patriots, as you already mentioned, Washington uh, at 19. And uh, Dan Snyder has a history of you know, moving up in the draft. The, this would certainly be an aggressive move from 19 to 4. Uh, the Bears at 20. You know, Do you think Andy Dalton is the guy in Chicago? Um, but you, know, you and I mentioned this before we, we actually started hitting record. It's one thing to talk about these trades, but it is another thing to actually you know, execute it. Those teams actually have to be interested. They have to be willing to give up that draft capital. Uh, and when you start talking about the Patriots at 15 and Washington at 19, I, I think you are talking about you know at least next year's first and probably several day two picks uh, between the next two years and, and potentially even a, a, a third first round pick to make that, that jump possible. Um, and that, I don't know, I, I'm looking at those teams and maybe Washington with, with Snyder and his aggressiveness, maybe he feels like, you know, they, they're that one player away. Um, but is there any other team, you know, Washington, the Vikings, uh, maybe even the Eagles at 12, I know they've already jumped around some, but you know, unless you think Jalen hurts is the future there, are there any that you think in theory makes sense and where you think the ownership may want to be aggressive for this particular draft class? Well, the one team that stands out that I think checks the boxes, because one of the reasons why San Francisco made the move is the perception, whether you agree with it or not, is that they're a Super Bowl caliber team and they just really need to upgrade the quarterback position and they're ready to go. Mm -hmm. And you look around the NFL landscape and there's certainly a couple of teams where you could say check that box. The Steelers makes sense there but that's just not the way that the Steelers operate they're just going to basically right. you know they're going to build in the trenches and we're like we're just going to build it up and then we'll worry about quarterback probably next year uh if Ben Roethlisberger retires the one team that is intriguing but obviously once I say the name you know it's not going to happen with the Falcons at least are the Saints they're the type of team Ooh. that has a history of making very aggressive trades up in the first round. They were a team that was allegedly prepared to take Patrick Mahomes with the 11th overall pick, I, I believe in 2017, but he went the, the Kansas city chiefs jumped them to get him at 10. And then, you know, the saints went and got our favorite cornerback, uh, Marshawn Lattimore uh, with that 11th overall spot. And, you know, given their quarterback question marks with Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston, it, it like this would be exactly in Sean Payton's wheelhouse to just blow somebody away with uh, draft picks and saying, look, I, I'm a believer in Justin Fields or Trey Lance or Mac Jones or whoever it is and say this is our quarterback of the future. And, you know, 
Taysom Hill, Jameis Winston be darned. But, um, <laughs> you know, obviously that's not going to happen with the Falcons. There's just no percentage. Like, even if you thought, like, there's a sliver of a chance that the Falcons could trade with the Carolina Panthers, like, that is – that does not exist with the Saints. So <laughs> not at all. Yeah. Not so, even remotely. <laughs> so like even, you know, let's imagine a scenario where, you know, whether it's the Falcons or another team takes quarterback four, it wouldn't completely shock me if we saw the Saints go from the back end of round one, trade all the way up into the top ten, putting together some Julio Jones plus type of uh of offer uh to get into the top ten to get that last quarterback on the board but um yeah th- they would be the team that i think in theory could do it but it you know it would be crazy uh to to see that happen <laughs> oh man that I-, I wouldn't put it past them to your point they they've made that mo- they did it for davenport um you know not not too many too many moons ago um all right one last trade down option is the we've heard rumors and you know, this depends on how aggressive you think uh, uh, the Joneses are in Dallas. That the Cowboys want to trade up and go after uh, the best non-quarterback in this draft class by many people's estimation, and we're talking, of course, tight end Kyle Pitts, who has wide receiver esque uh, numbers. If you're to believe all the pro day numbers, which Caveat, you should never believe all the pro day numbers, um, but certainly this guy is uh, is an incredible athlete. Um, what do you think about the potential of maybe a shorter trade down where the Falcons drop back, you know, just a handful of spots for a team that may want to go after, you know, a Panay Sewell or a Kyle Pitts instead of necessarily going after a quarterback? Yeah, I mean, I, I've you've seen those um, various mock drafts that have that. You know, mm-hmm. Mel Kuyper came out with one the other day having the Falcons and Dolphins swap picks with four and six. Obviously, I think if Miami wanted to pick in the top four, they would have just stayed at three. But, um, right. <laughs> you know, I, you know, the Dallas thing specifically, it's hard for me to buy that just because Dallas has had so much success just kind of watching how the board falls and just sort of taking the best player available. And, and they argue, you know, a lot of people – this debate has gone back and forth over the last year of them being able to, to scoop up CD lamb at pick number 17 after the Falcons took AJ Terrell at 16 last year. I, I think Dallas is sitting good at that 10 spot. They're either going to get a, a top notch corner, one of the top two corners in this draft class, mm-hmm. or one of the top two offensive linemen in this draft class in, in Sewell or, or Rashawn Slater. So I, I think Dallas is just going to stay put there, even though they would love to get a guy like Kyle Pitts. And, and, you know, there, maybe there's a scenario where Kyle Pitts falls to them at 10. So I think Dallas, you know, that specific trade doesn't make a ton of sense. But I think if if the Falcons are going to trade with anybody in the top 10, it is Denver. But, you know, it's it's interesting because you just hear people that cover the Broncos for a living just don't seem that convinced that Denver is going to be as aggressive as right. I think the national media seems to think they are just because the national media's perception of Drew Locke is very different from seemingly the perception of, of Drew Locke, at least in the city limits of Denver. Yeah. Um, and to be fair, this is, uh, you know, they just recently uh, got Drew Locke into the door. So uh, it, it sort of reminds me of the rumors that Miami might consider a, a quarterback after having just drafted uh, Tua. So it, it just doesn't ring true to me. And I, I'm with you. I, th- I feel like the Broncos is maybe more smoke than fire at this point. Um, you know, the local guys usually have a little bit better 
uh, perception of how the team uh, is thinking about their quarterback situation. Uh, and really what we're hearing now is that they're more interested in bringing a veteran in to compete with Locke uh, just to, to push him a little bit more as compared to bringing in yet another young guy. Uh, and to that point, a young guy who in this draft class at least would be the fourth quarterback off the board. Um, all right, we'll move on from the trading down option. Let's let's now talk about the Falcons staying at four because uh, you know we'll talk about the quarterbacks in a little bit, but there's two names I want to bring to your attention um, because I feel like they're interesting for different reasons. Uh, we already mentioned one, and uh, I think the other one, I think you know he's – considered the best offensive lineman in this draft class. Uh, and of course that, that would be Panay Sewell. Um, but the first name I want to talk about Aaron is, is tight end Kyle Pitts. I I've been team trade down from almost day one. Uh, I just love the idea of netting additional draft capital. When you have a new GM, when you have a new head coach, uh, when you have a defense that has, uh, you know, lost multiple starters in one off season. Um, but the more I read about Kyle Pitts and the more we look at his athletic profile, like this guy, there's not a real great comp for him in the NFL right now. Like he's, he, he blows the doors off, uh, of, you know, compared to guys like, um, you know, Kittle and, uh, Travis Kelsey from an uh, athletic standpoint. Uh, he's just, he actually has numbers that truly do compare to some wide receivers, um, this is a guy that you could definitely see Arthur Smith just having a heyday with for the next 10 years, having a blast using him all around the offense. What are your thoughts on the Falcons going it, like I'm, I'm having a, like a small panic attack at the idea of the Falcons taking a tight end in the top five for, I think like the first time in like 20, 30 years. Um, what are your thoughts on Kyle Pitts and taking a tight end at number four? Yeah, I mean, like, I, I've been one of the earliest on the idea the, of entertaining the possibility of Kyle Pitts being the pick there. And I think really the big reason for that is you, you kind of have to see Kyle Pitts as a Julio Jones-esque prospect. I mean, yes. when we talk yeah. about comparing him to tight ends, it's hard because, there, you know, there's some Jimmy Graham, there's Travis Kelsey, you know, you hear the Darren Waller one just because of uh, the sort of the size speed sort of comparison there. Mm -hmm. And you're comparing him to elite tight ends. But really, in terms of what he can be in an NFL offense, I think it is those wide receivers like Calvin Johnson, like Julio Jones, that when we're talking about in today's NFL with how creative offensive coordinators and you look at an offense like what Arthur Smith is bringing to Atlanta – you can center your your passing attack around a player like Kyle Pitts. Right. Move him all around, play him inside, play him outside, play him in the slot, and he can line up in line. I know, you know, the perception around Kyle Pitts is that, you know, because he's like 240 pounds, oh, he can't block. But, like, he's a better blocker than I think a lot of people realize. Like, there's a hmm. lot of top-end receivers uh, at the tight end position, like players like Darren Waller, like Zach Ertz, that, I you know, I feel re reasonably confident that, Kyle Pitts is going to come into league and be better blockers than those guys. And that's wow. really his floor. And, you know, as he fills out his frame a little bit more, uh, you know, I think he can become, you know, a guy that you can look at and say, unlike the Ertz's, unlike the Wallers, unlike someone like a, a Tony Gonzalez, where you're just kind of like, yeah, you know, he, he just goes out there and he gets in the way. Um, you know, I think 
Kyle Pitts has the potential, at least, it, you know, with coaching, with development, to be a guy that you can say is an impact blocker. Maybe he's not on the Gronk level or the Kittle level or, or anything like that, but certainly a guy that I think you will can say can contribute in that arena in the future. But obviously, he's going to make his bones as, as a pass catcher. And again, I think going back to the, the point about Julio Jones, with his ability to potentially draw uh, double teams and, and create mismatches and whatnot, be sort of the guy that, you know, given that Julio Jones may be creeping up on the end of his tenure here in Atlanta, uh, be the guy that kind of more so than a player like Calvin Ridley that can really inherit that mantle as the guy mm-hmm. that you 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 game plan for and creates. Yes. You can create offense off of him because he's drawing the double teams and that's giving guys like Calvin Ridley, who we've seen over the last three years, just dominate those one on one matchups. Um, and, and and whoever else the Falcons will have in their offense in the future, you know, I think that's really the long term value that Kyle Pitts brings. But obviously, given that you know you you still have guys like Jones and and Ridley and Hayden Hurst and um, Russell Gage, you know what he can do at least in the short term is also uh, add a lot of value. And probably the most immediate thing, even if he's not going out there and catching fifty passes next year, uh, you know, I think the red zone stuff is, is really going to be valuable for the Falcons, at least immediately if they do pull the trigger on Kyle Pitts, just because of, you know, um, you know, I think Jimmy Graham is a good, probably a better comparison for him in terms of what he can be. And, and for, you know, I know Falcon fans are very familiar with this, but just watching Jimmy Graham, just moss dudes in the end zone on fades that like, you know, he, he would get like 10, 15 touchdowns in new Orleans just off that alone. And I think Kyle Pitts can do that and, and really give the Falcons a boost in the red zone, which along with their running game were the biggest weaknesses of their offense in 2020. Yeah. Um, listen, I'm, I'm with you. I feel like in, if we're talking about what Terry Fondo has said, you know, when asked about draft strategy and he, he said he is very much about best player available I think a strong argument could be made that after those first few QBs go off the board, that at number four, Pitts would legitimately be in the conversation for the best player available. Um, And, you know, this is a guy that whenever you do find your next QB, let's say it's in two, three years, because we're assuming in this case that you're not going to draft a quarterback. The Falcons are going to go in on Pitts. That's that is the kind of weapon that uh, if he pans out the way everyone thinks he will, any young quarterback that comes into the NFL can lean on a weapon like that uh, and lean on the openings he's going to create on offense in in the other places for Calvin Ridley and for the other guys on the roster. Um, That is a great way to help support a young quarterback in the same way that when Matt Ryan came in, he had Michael Turner to, to hand the ball off to. So you take some of that pressure off the quarterback um, bringing the quarterback in and handing him an offensive weapon that is the modern day equivalent of, of Calvin uh, Calvin Johnson is one hell of a way to to bring them into the NFL. So I think a, a case could be made that Pitts could be a great uh, player. That by the time a, a quarterback comes in, he's hitting against prime. Uh, you're pairing him up with a quarterback for the next you know seven, eight, ten years. Uh, man, that's that looks hard to turn down for me. And and my God, I would just love to see what uh, what he would look like in a Falcons uniform. Um, going from Julio to Pitts could be, you know, an incredible transition. Uh, and that's to take nothing away from Calvin Ridley, who I think is going to be a very good receiver in this league, and, and has already shown his uh, his case. 
but Pitts feels like one of those guys that could just completely disrupt uh, defensive coordinators and give them nightmares as they prepare to figure out how to defend this guy in the outside, the inside, the slot. Um, yeah, I, I love this idea. Um, all right, the next name I want to run by you, because I think I've seen you talk about this name as well, but in a different tone, um, is Panay Sewell. Um, Falcons have been investing a lot into the offensive line in recent years. Um, you know, they obviously – uh, with Caleb McGarry and Chris Lindstrom a couple years ago, um, you know Jake Matthews, former first round pick. Um, you know they just uh, drafted Matt Hennessy in the third round last year. Sewell feels like a pick where you're making it solely because you think he's truly the BPA, and you're also thinking that one of McGarry and or Matthews is not in your long term plans at least in my mind. So what are your thoughts on the idea of drafting another offensive lineman with the, a first-round pick, especially when uh, it looks like we currently have starters at the positions he would make the most sense at? Yeah, I mean, Sewell's an interesting player. Um, and I think the the case for Pene Sewell is largely, you know, it's, it's a stamp of identity. It's Arthur Smith saying we want to be a tough physical football team up up front, you know, mm-hmm. the, the Falcons are, are known to be more of a finesse team. Let's really make a, a significant investment in the trenches with a player in Pene Sewell. You know, I, I feel like some to some degree he's been a little bit overhyped, but like you understand why people talk about him as sort of a generational uh, type of offensive tackle. I, I think that. You know, I think if we're talking about generational, I think Kyle Pitts probably fits that bill better than Sewell. You know, mm-hmm. but I certainly think Sewell is one of the better offensive tackle prospects we've seen these last couple of years. And I think the thing that really stands out about Sewell, the two things, is his age. He's very young and, and to play as well as he did at, at 17, 18, 19 in college is a testament to his upside. I remember a decade ago when Tyron Smith was coming out of USC. Um, and he was like a 19-year-old, 20-year-old uh, entering the NFL and mm-hmm. being very raw. But, you know, he's turned into, you know, I think a Hall of Fame type of career in Dallas this last decade. And Sewell has that type of potential, you know, a player he often gets compared to, who is another guy that I think is uh, arguably a Hall of Fame caliber offensive tackles, Trent Williams, uh, yeah. now with San Francisco and formerly with Washington. I think Sewell has that type of potential. In him. And, you know, the thing that really stands out about Sewell is his movement. Like he's 330 pounds and he moves like a guy that weighs, you know, 30 pounds less than that. <laughs> and that type of athletic ability um, is is rare. You don't see guys that big moving as easily as he does. And that that gets you intrigued by the upside. Now, the thing the case I have made with with Pene Sewell. And why I don't love him as much as maybe others like Pitts or, or a quarterback in Atlanta is I think the Falcons are fine at the offensive tackle position. Like, I think Caleb mm-hmm. McGarry is is not going to be a star. You know, if, if people expect him to be this like Lane Johnson, Ryan Ramchek caliber of right tackle, like he's not going to be that. He's more going to be a Rob Havenstein type of player, but that's fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. Yep. You, you know, you're not going to, you know, other than Dallas a couple of years ago, you're not going to have five pro bowlers on your offensive line, you know? And even if you do have that, as Dallas learned over the last couple of years, injuries happen and, and those guys wind up, you know, losing it and, and missing time. And so you're just not going to have that. So yep. you, you just kind of have to settle for certain positions. The other thing is when, you're committing to Penny Sewell and obviously meaning that you're you're 
rolling with Matt Ryan for the foreseeable future. And I, understandably, I think people make the connection of, look, I think the one area of Matt Ryan's game that has not aged particularly well these last couple of years is his ability to deal with pressure. Mm-hmm. I, I've seen some uh, statistics that say basically the last three years, the Falcons have taken just based off of how many sacks they get versus how much pressure they get, they take about eight to 10 more sacks a year these last three years than they did earlier in Matt Ryan's career. So I understand the idea for a lot of folks that if you want to get the most out of Matt Ryan, particularly as he ages up and becomes less interested in getting hit because he's taken a lot of hits over the year, um, you know, you want to protect him better. But I think really the issue with Matt Ryan in particular, and we see this with a guy like Drew Brees in New Orleans, is he's not going to be this mobile quarterback where he's going to be scrambling outside the pocket and doing all these things. What Matt Ryan wants to do is, you know, that speed rush comes to the outside. He wants to have a, a clean pocket to step up into so yeah. that he can step into his throws, drive the ball down the field and 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 be able to make those throws. So I think the problem you know, or at least my problem with Penny Sewell, as good as I think he is going to be, the fact that I think he's probably going to have a long, very productive career, and we're, you know, and he might wind up in Carolina, and we might be looking at him shutting down Falcons pass rushers for a decade or more to come, which, you know, <laughs> given the history of Falcons pass rushers, isn't necessarily a high bar right. here. But, you know, I think the problem is that Penny Sewell is not going to solve that problem. You you kind of have a specific issue in Atlanta, particularly with their offensive line, given you basically have a vacancy at left guard and you have a question mark at center with Matt Hennessy being a first year starter. You know, yeah. say what you will about Jake Matthews or Chris Lindstrom or Caleb McGarry. Those are three boxes on your offensive line that are relatively checked. Yeah. And I think the, my only concern with Penny Sewell, even though, I, I like I said, if the Falcons took him, I would absolutely understand it because, again, it's that sort of stamp of identity and, you know, whether it necessarily really enhances your offensive line in the short term, you're getting a guy, you know, that long term can be that sort of elite uh, book in left tackle. And, you know, Jake Matthews is not, you know, a spring chicken or anything. But I think the problem is that if you draft Penny Sewell, you still have that issue on the interior and you yeah. still have to address that interior. So I think Penny Sewell would certainly be a step in the right direction for the Falcons at the top of the draft if they choose to go in that direction. But I don't think he's solving the problem. I think the, the perception around Penny Sewell is that, oh, you draft Penny Sewell and your offensive line is fixed. And I just think, no, Penny Sewell, given where you're going to take him, is not going to solve that problem long term. I think he's pushing the ball forward, but you still probably still have to go back in rounds two, three, or four, or whatever, and still address that interior offensive line. And I think yeah. really, if we're talking about the Falcons, you know, maximizing their draft, given uh, their, their, their picks, it just kind of makes more sense, at least in my eyes, and people are more than welcome to disagree with me, to just take the interior player on day two of the draft rather than invest yeah. <laughs> in, and use that fourth overall pick on another position that is more meaningful. That's how I see it. But again, uh, Penny Sewell is an excellent player. I, I think you, you can't be mad at the Falcons, you know, taking a player of his caliber at the top of the draft, even if he may be like fourth or fifth on my list in terms of guys I would prefer. Yeah, I think you made such a great point, which is if you draft someone like Sewell, you're, you're essentially admitting that you're in on Matt Ryan for the next uh, several years. Uh, and uh, to your point, Sewell doesn't necessarily fix any outstanding issues on the offensive line. Uh, so it seems like you're simultaneously saying we're in on our aging quarterback, but we're also drafting a player for the future, which is sort of weird mixed messaging and maybe not the strongest move the Falcons can make. Although, again, you know, I think 
an investment in the trenches, especially with a player that could be a generational player at the position is hard to argue with. I just, I think to your point, the immediate fit feels a little bit harder to determine with him. Um, but on that point, we've talked about uh, trading down two of the, the best players in this draft that don't throw the football. Um, I want to talk about the quarterbacks, uh, that conversation. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Advertiser Content, brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys... It's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snacket. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void where prohibited. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. We're back on the Falcoholic Podcast. This is Dave Walker. I'm joined by the one and only Aaron Freeman of the Locked On Falcons Podcast. Uh, we talked about trading down and Kyle Pitts and Penny Sewell as options for the Falcons at number four in the first round. Uh, now we're going to talk about the quarterbacks. Before we do that, Aaron, I want to get your opinion on this, just to set the stage on the quarterback position. Matt Ryan is 36. Uh, he will be 36. I'm sorry. He'll turn 36 in May. He's actually 35 right now, uh, which is funny. I've seen fans like getting his age wrong all over the place. I've seen several people say he's 38 years old. I'm like, no, he's not. Um, but in your mind, is it, time for the Falcons to truly move on from Matt Ryan? Or do you think that there's still a window left, you know, and, and what type of window would you think that is? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the big question, right? Um, I think with Matt Ryan, I think he can still give you plus value as a starting quarterback in this league. Mm -hmm. Now, whether he's going to put up like top five, top 10 numbers for more than another year or two, I think it's debatable. Um, I think the hope is that Arthur Smith can do for Matt Ryan similar to what he did with Ryan Tannehill. And, and if that's the case, then, you know, potentially the potential is certainly there that Matt Ryan could be playing at that MVP level uh, that we saw a couple of years ago uh, and, and being one of the best quarterbacks in the league. But I don't know how long that's going to last. Right. And I think really my main concern with Matt Ryan is not where he is today. It's really going to be where he is three years from now or or more years from now. And so the idea of committing, you know, three to five years to Matt Ryan at this point is not necessarily uh, a proposition that fills me with a ton of confidence <laughs> in terms of that. Um, we, we've sort of seen the direction that this league is going with more mobile quarterbacks and particularly given the Falcons uh, issues on the offensive line, having a, a quarterback that can, you know, do a little bit more with less 
being able to extend plays outside the pocket. And I, I know a lot of people hear mobility and, and they think, you know, Lamar Jackson, that means you have a quarterback running the ball 15 times a game and, and, and rushing for 100 yards. It's really more about getting those second chance opportunity plays. Right. And we've seen Matt Ryan do that. Uh, a lot more in recent years, uh, unfortunately, because he's being forced to thanks to play <laughs> calling and protection. Um, but I don't know if you're going to be relying on Matt Ryan when he does reach 38, which he's still a couple of years away doing that. And so I think what the problem is, is the the issue that the Falcons face is you might have to work harder to, to prop up Matt Ryan um, and make him the best possible version of, of himself as time wears on. Yeah. And I, I don't think you want to be in that situation where it's becoming harder for you to build around your quarterback. You want to make that job easier. And I think that's really the intriguing thing that attracts the Falcons to one of these young quarterbacks. But you also, you know, the 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 argument is you get Matt Ryan for the short term. So you get the most out of Matt Ryan, you know, for the next year or two, mm-hmm. uh, possibly longer. Um, and then you also get the added trade off of being able to turn the page and get that younger guy down the road and, and sort of get those benefits. So it, it's an interesting quandary. Um, I don't begrudge the Falcons, uh, which whichever direction they go. Certainly, if I was in Terry Fontenot's shoes or Arthur Smith's shoes, I, I would not love having to make this decision because, you know, this decision could decide the fate of their their regime, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, if they marry themselves to Matt Ryan and, you know, he goes the way more so of Philip Rivers, you know, are they going to get an opportunity to, to get another bite at this apple and, and, and take a quarterback several years down the road, similar to what the Chargers were facing in 2017 when they hired Anthony Lynn and they had an opportunity to get Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson at the top of that draft. And they went for Mike Williams, the wide receiver. Um, fortunately for them, they were able to get Justin Herbert a couple of years later, but Anthony Lynn, you know, didn't benefit from that in any shape right. or form. Um, and so you also have the the other standpoint where, you know, if they do take a quarterback, but that guy isn't good, you know, it, like, yeah, as many Falcon fans are quick to point out, particularly the, those that are more vocally against the idea of taking quarterback is drafting quarterback this high is far from a short thing. It is a yeah. massive risk when you look at it historically. And we always look back at the success stories and say, oh, oh, of course, everybody saw that coming. And it's like, no, you didn't. It's it's <laughs> just throwing darts at a board and you hope that you, you know, it's it's less about the quarterback and more about the environment that you put them in, I think, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, yep. So you're hopeful that this new regime can put that proper environment around that guy. And we can sit here with all the optimism in the world. But truth be told, like, we don't know how good a coach Arthur Smith is. You know, yeah. he, he's, we know he's a good offensive coordinator, but there's plenty of, of people out there that were great offensive coordinators, but were terrible head coaches. Uh, ben McAdoo, Freddie Kitchens immediately jumped to mind as some recent examples. Yeah. Um, so it, it's it's a complex situation where, like, I, you know, I, 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 I constantly get into it with fans a lot on, on Twitter about like them saying, oh, like I could be a better GM than, than a lot of these people. And like. Sure, you could. I mean, it's easy to sit, uh, you know, on your phone or on your couch and, and make these billion dollar decisions and and not have to sort of face the consequences uh, of it. Um, you know, it, it's very easy. But when you're in that hot seat, you know, these these are the decisions that are going to decide the fate of your franchise for years to come. And um, I don't envy them in that situation. And whichever direction they wind up going, 
you know, I, I, I will understand it. Like, you know, I yeah. may not always agree with every decision that they make, um, but I will certainly understand, look, you know, Matt Ryan's, I think at this point in time, the safer choice, you know, cause you know, you're going to win games immediately. You don't know what you're going to do with a, a young rookie quarterback today or tomorrow. Um, but certainly, you know, there is some reward, uh, but you got to risk something with it, as uh, Bruce Arians might say. No, was it no risk it, no biscuit, or whatever the case may be. Yes. So, um, you know, it's. <laughs> I'm talking in circles, but like it's just like I I have no idea what they're going to do, and I, I certainly don't begrudge them if they go with the more conservative choice and say, look, you know, we'll just roll with Matt Ryan and and see what we can do, and and put Kyle Pitts and and see, you know, let's let's get the most dynamic offense on on the field as possible and i i would certainly understand that yeah i'm with you and i think many people have said this both at the local level and national level you can make a strong case for going for a quarterback and you can make a strong case for going for someone like kyle pitts uh you know i I think you could say with matt ryan and his his pretty good health history uh, actually i would say remarkable health history given the number of times he has been sacked in the nfl um, you know, 36 this year, 37, 38, uh, 39, four years before he actually hits the season where he'll turn 40 years old. Um, he's under contract for two more years. We know that. Um, and he will be here for at least next year. Uh, that's at, at minimum. And it's actually, it, it would be a little tricky to move on from him after 2021, not impossible, but you know, it depends on how much dead cap the Falcons want to carry over. Uh, into their final season uh, under his contract. But uh, honestly, this this is a situation in my mind that uh, if they don't go with a quarterback in the first round, I still think they could look to target someone in day two, day three. Um, you know, Tori McElhaney, who we had on the pa- podcast last week at The uh, Athletic, she had a mock draft where the Falcons grabbed someone like Jamie Newman and I think she had him going in the third round. Uh, and, you know, as, as a quarterback that is going to be more of a development guy, maybe doesn't have the same uh, floor that a lot of these guys in, in the first round do, but has, you know, tremendous uh, physical gifts that you're hoping uh, can mature into a more complete quarterback on the NFL level. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'm, I feel like at best Ryan has three, maybe four seasons of quality play left in him. Uh, we, we saw it with Drew Brees where he hit 40 and those numbers really started to dive. Um, and I don't want to see that. <laughs> I don't want to have to go through that uh, in the same way that New Orleans did where they're, you know, his last season was really just sad uh, in, in many respects. So, um, all right. I want to talk about the prospects now because uh, this does feel like a unique draft class for quarterback prospects. I cannot remember. And is in fact, it, I think it was all the way back when Dante Culpepper uh, came out and it was McNabb. Donovan McNabb, I think was number two pick. There were a couple of quarterbacks around him. Um, and it was the last time we had three quarterbacks in a row go in the first round. Um, if Atlanta does choose a quarterback at number four, it will be, I believe the first time in NFL history that four straight quarterbacks have come off the board uh, to start the NFL draft. Um, So let's talk about those options. Um, The first one I want to mention, Justin Fields out of the Ohio State University. I'm sure Gina will appreciate that. Mm. Um, 
the the criticism I have seen about him, Aaron, uh, I've seen some people say this, and I, I kind of chuckle, is he couldn't beat out Jake Fromm, who isn't even a, an NFL starter, um, which I I have so many thoughts on that. <laughs> but what are your thoughts on Justin Fields? You know, we, we've we've heard some of the scouting reports. Obviously, incredibly athletic, big arm. You know, played at a big school in Ohio State. What are your thoughts on Fields uh, and him potentially being the next quarterback of the Falcons? Well, the the Jake Fromm thing is interesting to me because there was a similar situation with the quarterbacks at Pitt when I was in school there many, many years ago, you know, decades ago. Um, And it was Joe Flacco and Tyler Palco. And Tyler (laughs) Palco was the starter. He was this fiery, undersized type of guy, a highly valued high school guy, came to Pitt, was a big signing, you know, was a winner, was an overachiever, all that various things. And he beat out this bigger, strong-armed, strong-armed, you know, quiet guy in Joe Flacco. And Flacco wound up transferring to Delaware. They both made it to the NFL. Flacco was a first-round pick. I think Tyler Palco was like a fifth-round pick or something like that. Um, And, you know, Joe Flacco has rings, you know, still going strong in the NFL. Tyler Palco washed out of the NFL after like three seasons. Yeah. It was a terrible starting quarterback. It was like 5'11", or, you know, back when short quarterbacks couldn't be successful and all those various things, didn't, you know, have a strong arm. So that notion of like, hey, he couldn't beat out Jake Fromm, like that's not a testament to Justin Fields. That's just a testament to the Georgia coaches. Like, right. you know, that's, that's more the Georgia coaches having their own preferences on who they want to – to roll with and you know you want to nitpick somebody you you nitpick those guys for that season it's not an indicator of nfl success is 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 what i'm getting at as for fields you know you hear a lot of the rhetoric about oh he's a one read quarterback you know i think that's been thoroughly debunked by a lot of people yeah um i think there's a an issue a lot of people sort of hold it against them. They went to Ohio state and, you know, Ohio state just does not have a history of producing successful NFL quarterbacks, but you know, the Ohio state offense of today is very different from the Ohio state offense of yesteryear. And certainly Ohio state never had as talented a quarterback as um, Justin Fields is as much as I adore Cardale Jones and, and Troy Smith and all those guys, they're just not on the same level as a Justin Fields yeah. um, who was neck and neck with, with Trevor Lawrence as sort of the top quarterback in the state of Georgia when they were entering college. I think the thing about Justin Fields and the player I often compare him to uh, because they move the same, they, they kind of play similarly, although I think Fields is better, um, just better natural passer than this player is, is Cam Newton. And, you know, I think, the you know, he's a, he's a more accurate Cam Newton. And I think the, the type of player Justin Fields can be is – similar to what we saw from Cam Newton in his MVP season in 2015, where it just seemed like everything clicked for Cam that year. He was dropping deep balls. He was running with um, the football, making plays with his legs and and doing Cam Newton things to go on and lead that Carolina team to the Super Bowl. Uh, You know, fortunately for, you know, Falcon faithful, uh, they did not pull it off. Shout out to our boy Von Miller for that. (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know, I think – with Justin Fields, like I think he has that type of capability, and and rather than that sort of being the one outlier season for Cam Newton, like that could be what Justin Fields is every single season. So I think his ceiling is exceptionally high. But I think what's interesting about Justin Fields to me is I think he has you know everybody looks at the athleticism, the mobility, and all that various things. But I think the way that Justin Fields plays, he wants to be a pocket quarterback. He wants yeah, to stand yep. in there and deliver from the pocket. He wants to drop back, hit his back foot, three step, five step drop, and deliver the ball, and he can do that. 
Um, you know, the main issue I have with Justin Fields um, as a quarterback prospect is he does tend to be a little slower with his reads because of the nature of the Ohio State offense is asking his guys to run a lot more vertical routes. You can just sort of look at the box scores and see how many he th- how often he threw the ball to his running backs, which was not at all. I think he threw like maybe 12 passes to his running backs this past year. <laughs> wow. And you compare that to like Trevor Lawrence with Travis Etienne, who had like 40 catches this year. Najee Harris had like 40 catches this year with Mac Jones. Like there's just no checkdowns in the Ohio State offense. And so I think some of that is more less a knock on Justin Fields and just the system he's going to ha- have to play to. And I think unlike some of these, all these other quarterbacks um, that he's being compared to, like when he gets to the NFL, you know, again, I don't think it's because Ohio State has a bad system, but I just think, you know, there's going to be things that NFL coaches are going to be able to do with Justin Fields that I think are probably going to make his life easier at the next level uh, than sometimes the Ohio State offense was asking him to be. So I don't really hold some of that stuff that you hear from other people talking about what he is and what he isn't um, against him, because I do think you can put him in a more quarterback friendly offense. It's going to give him easy completions rather than asking him to sit there and hold the ball for, you know, eight seconds, uh, before he, he delivers a pass because he's yeah. waiting for his guy to get open. Yeah. And to that point, and I know you've watched some of the Tennessee Titans offense the past couple of years. Uh, I've done the same. Um, if Arthur Smith does the same thing here, it looks like that's the kind of offense he's going to run where he creates, opportunities he creates openings that make it a little bit easier on this quarterback um it, it gives him multiple options uh, at times in in the red zone uh, never knew you could do that uh, after <laughs> years of dirt cutter um <laughs> but yeah it it feels like you know people are really and you know i've got opinions on why i think he's getting hammered more than some of the other prospects i'm going to leave that off the podcast for now yeah uh, <laughs> uh, but i really like uh, Justin Fields of the quarterbacks who are not named Trevor Lawrence. If he was there at four, I'd be extremely happy if the Falcons grabbed a prospect like him. I, I do feel like the stuff at UGA about him not beating out Jake Fromm was more about the coaching staff and their comfort with Fromm than anything to do with Fields and his his talent, his ability. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like and and for some reason, again, I'm, I'm not going to get into it. Uh, Fields has been all over the place. At one point, he was going to be the number two quarterback off the board. Some people have him slipping into the middle of the first round now. Uh, it, it's it feels a lot like smokescreen, um, and, and I still feel like this is one of the top quarterbacks in this class. Uh, let's talk about the next name because this guy is getting a lot of buzz uh, from all over from national media. Uh, local guys uh, are trying to link him to the Falcons, and that is Trey Lance. Um, he's a young guy. Uh, he's, uh, you know, coming out of North Dakota state, uh, you know, big school, uh, <laughs> um, six foot four roughly. Uh, and again, just incredible physical tools, you know, can launch the ball downfield, incredibly athletic, can move outside the pocket. Um, another sort of top tier athlete, uh, at the quarterback position. And one of the criticisms we're hearing here, um, which I think may have a little bit more uh, merit to it is uh, he's only played one year and it was at an FCS school. Uh, of course, you know, that's, uh, you know, sort of what's being laid out there for, for Trey Lance. What are your thoughts on Lance? And do you feel like he is, his stock is worth where people are putting it right now? Or do you think this is an instance where there's so many quarterback and needy teams 
that a player that maybe in the past would have drifted into the later parts of the first round is now being pushed up simply because of the need at the position. I think Lance's stock is is being valued so high is because you're you're projecting him, right? He yeah. he he was a redshirt freshman starter in 2019, played one game this past year in a sort of showcase game, did not particularly perform well in that game, but you, you saw some things, some good things in that game, but he had like the first interception of his NFL career. For those folks that aren't necessarily familiar with North Dakota State, they are the Alabama of the FCS level. They've won, I think, eight out of the last nine national titles uh, in <laughs> FCS football. So like they're a dominant program. They've produced several you know, Carson Wentz, I know he, his career hasn't gone particularly well over the last year or so. Uh, Easton Stick is, is a backup in, with the Chargers now. So they are like a NFL pipeline, at least at that level. So I think knocking him for the level of competition, you know, I think it's fair. Obviously, he didn't face NFL caliber talent week in and week out like he would have faced at a higher level of right. competition. But I think North Dakota State does a good job preparing their guys for the pros. And we saw with Carson Wentz coming into the league pretty successfully uh, as a rookie, um, prompting the Eagles to trade you know, Sam Bradford that summer to the Vikings. And, you know, Easton Stick, even though he's not nearly as talented, go ask your your good buddy Kevin Knight on his opinion on, on Easton Stick. It's not very uh, promising, <laughs> but, you know, he's in the mix to be the backup uh, behind Justin Herbert. Uh, in in LA. Uh, and that's a testament to like his ability from a neck up. And so I think, you know, the the notion and the narrative around Trey Lance is that, oh, he's a he's a developmental guy. And I, I just think given what he was asked to do as a redshirt freshman at that program, how they coach up their guys, I think he's a lot more NFL ready than people give him credit for. I hmm. I honestly think he's more NFL ready than Justin Fields is, despite Fields having more experience and playing at a higher level. Wow. Um, the offense that North Dakota State ran is very similar to what the Falcons are likely to run under Arthur Smith, very similar uh, in terms of what Kyle Shanahan has made and Sean McVay have made uh, very popular in the NFL nowadays. So I think, you know, he goes to a certain system like Atlanta he can be starting right away. Now, if he went to a different type of offense, maybe he would need a year to sit behind. But one of the things that stands out about Trey Lance is that he was calling protections in, in college. That, you, you never see that in college from any level of mm. competition. They're getting that stuff from the sideline and he's making changes on the fly. He's, you know, audibling to a lesser extent. Um, and he was doing that at uh, age 19. Um, yeah. And, I think that's a testament when I'm talking about projection. It's not just like raw ability. It's like, oh, if he can handle this at 19, what is he going to be able to handle from a processing standpoint when he's 25? You know, and I think that's yeah. what's intriguing to a lot of folks about his potential. The, the knocks on, on Trey Lance are um, mainly centered on the way that North Dakota State played was a very conservative style of offense, which is like Trey Lance. You know, when, when people talk about someone being a one-read quarterback, and I don't think this is a fair criticism of Trey Lance, but like that's more Trey Lance than it is Justin Fields, where Trey Lance was just like, hey, you know, go to that first read. If it's not there, tuck it and run. And because you're so much better of an athlete than everybody else you're facing, you can make plays that way. Um, and so I think that element may be something – that he'll have to deal with more. Um, but again, I think a lot of that is scheme stuff. And, you know, we've seen 
NFL offenses, play action heavy stuff where it is often one, two reads, high, low reads, you know, throw it to the tight end, throw it to Julio Jones cross in the middle of the field <laughs> or check it down to Luke Stocker or uh, Keith Smith <laughs> in the flat. <laughs> or whatever the case may be. And like that's how NFL offenses work. Just keep getting those four, six yard gains and, and put us in a position um to convert on third downs. And so I, I think when I watch Trey Lance play, I, I feel like he's he's much more NFL ready than a lot of people give him credit for. I think a lot of it is due to the fact that he's only got one year of experience, but you don't hear that from Mac Jones. He's started as many games as Mac Jones has. Um, and like no one talks about Mac Jones being needing to sit a year, um, which, you know, maybe speaks to some of the th- topics that we will discuss on a future episode, not necessarily <laughs> yes. tonight. Um, but, you know, it's just one of those things where um, with Trey Lance, I-, I think he's a very talented player. Um, oh, the-, the second issue in his game is accuracy. He can be a little scattershot with that. Yeah. Um, and so, I don't think his accuracy is so poor that, you know, it's going to be a major issue for him at the next level. But I do think relatively speaking for guys that are typically drafted this high, you know, he may not be as accurate as you typically expect. Um, So I think those are the two main knocks on Trey Lance, but I, I do think there's a lot of upside with him. It's just when you compare him to most quarterbacks and I know my history with uh, evaluating quarterbacks, I typically am not as big a fan of, one-year starters because you don't see the growth and that growth that you see from year one to year two is often going to mirror the growth that you will see when those guys get to the next level. Um, And because you don't necessarily have that with Trey Lance, it's a bigger question mark. Now, Cam Newton was a one-year starter at Auburn. He went on to be very successful. Uh, There's plenty of examples I could name of guys that weren't successful. Um, But it's, you know, I think that's a question mark, but I think given the talent level, And, you know, particularly if we're talking about specifically to the Falcons, because you're going to get that one year to sit, you know, that's not as big an issue for the Falcons as it may be with another team that wouldn't necessarily have that luxury. Like, say, a Denver, where there's a real possibility that he could be starting maybe not week one, but like week four, uh, given, you know, what we know about Drew Locke and his uh, ability to throw so many interceptions uh, (laughs) (laughs) it's a special ability apparently Um, he's he's a dynamic interception thrower i can say that (laughs) he's like brett Favre without the touchdowns um the the accuracy thing i guess is is you know slightly concerning because uh as you and i both know it's especially for the guys where the accuracy is definitely off that is not something that tends to get dramatically corrected at the NFL level. If anything, it tends to get exacerbated. Um, but if you're saying it's it's good enough, then you know hopefully that's uh, that will hold true as well. But uh, you know, to your point, top five quarterback generally you don't want to see question marks at all around accuracy. So I think if if people are wondering if Lance is you know uh, a top five material. He probably is, you know, again, based off the the complete package. Um, but I, I don't think you can say for any of these guys that there aren't question marks. And I, I think that's part of why we're talking about them. Um, last name I want to bring up, and this one, you know, it it seems like three months ago he was being talked about as, you know, a second round, third round pro- prospect. And then all of a sudden we hear that, oh, yeah, the 49ers are trading up to get this guy. And I'm like, I'm sorry, What? And that is the guy you just mentioned, quarterback out of Alabama, Mac Jones. Um, you know, he comes in, he's a little bit smaller, six foot three-ish, uh, six foot two and a half, something like that. Um, and not as physically 
uh, gifted as Justin Fields. He's not someone that's going to move a ton outside the pocket. Uh, he doesn't have, you know, some of that elite arm talent that, you know, fans are all about. Uh, Mac Jones is uh, a, a fairly accurate passer. Um, you know, he did, of course, play at a high level at a very competitive program. Um, but I'm curious, uh, Aaron, your thoughts on Mac Jones. Do you feel like all of this talk of him being a first round uh prospect and even potentially a top five prospect now do you feel like this is smoke or do you feel like this is something else entirely Mac Jones is an interesting player because I think the player he reminds me a lot of is Matt Ryan hmm. I think if you know I was telling this uh to your boss uh Dave uh the other night <laughs> um that if you know Matt Ryan was transported from 2008 to 2021 the perception of him is very comparable to the perception of Mac Jones right now. Um, now, the thing that Dave pointed out accurately was that Matt Ryan wasn't necessarily competing with the caliber of quarterbacks like a Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance. You know, as much as we love Joe Flacco and Brian Brom and Chad Henney and, and Andre Woodson, <laughs> I don't know if those guys are, are quite at that level as prospects. Um, so Matt Ryan had the ability to really stand out, relatively speaking, in that particular draft class that Mac Jones doesn't necessarily have. Um, I like Mac Jones a lot. I think at least what I will say, the summary as far as Mac Jones being a fit for the Falcons, I will say that wouldn't make a lot of sense to me, not because I don't think Mac Jones is worth the fourth overall pick, but just because like if you're going to draft Mac Jones. Why not just keep Matt Ryan? You know, like you're, you're not getting substantially a different player. Um, you're just getting a younger, cheaper version of Matt Ryan, which, you know, certainly maybe you can make an argument for, but you're losing, you know, 13 years of um, playing experience that Mac Jones is really going to need in order to maximize his skill set. I think the big concern with Mac Jones is the concern that I'm sure many people listening have heard people talk about is that lack of athleticism, that lack of ability to get those second opportunity plays by extending plays out the pocket with mobility and right. whatnot. And, you know, the concern is, and I've, I've seen a lot of smart people talk about this over the, the last couple of years, is if you don't have that ability, given what we've seen with the Josh Rosens and and so many or more quarterbacks in recent years, you know, it's a it's a win now league. The pressure is now for you to come in and be successful yeah. right away. And for a quarterback that doesn't have that ability, a quarterback like Mac Jones or even going back to Matt Ryan, that's going to win from the neck up. If he doesn't go to the right situation where he can be a game manager, much like Matt Ryan was, you talk about handing the ball off to Michael Turner and just distributing the ball to Roddy White and Tony Gonzalez early in his career. Like Matt Ryan didn't have to do much, hand the ball off to Michael Turner on first and second down and then throw it to Tony or Roddy on third down. And that was his job for the first three years in the league. And the Falcons had a lot of success doing that. If Mac Jones doesn't go to an environment that can allow him to do those things, and he did those things at Alabama, and yeah. that was the reason why he was successful there. Um, is he going to be successful enough early on in his NFL career as he's learning the game? Um, because he's not going to have that experience and that neck up ability that the quote unquote great pocket passers develop and hone over the over the time. Is yeah. he going to get enough reps early and have enough success early on to sort of get those reps long term where he can live up to his potential? Um, and if not, then you know what are you stuck with having that guy that can say, "Look, nobody's open." go out there and, and run for the first down on third and, 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 and seven is very valuable, much more valuable today than it was, uh, you know, 10, 12 years ago. 
So I, I think that's really the concern with Mac Jones. But, you know, in, in the case of the 49ers, I think probably that's the best place for him just because you know he's going to get good play calling. Mm-hmm. You know he's going to have a good running game. And, you know, given where we saw this 49ers defense um, a couple of years ago when they were healthy, you know, he's not going to have to put up 30 burgers every single week in order for that football team to win. So it makes sense to me uh, in a vacuum why the 49ers might be attracted to Mac Jones. Um, just because, you know, what they say about Kyle Shanahan, whether you buy it or not, he wants a guy that can be more of that ball distributor. He wants a guy that can just basically essentially be his mouthpiece uh, or, or be the arm to his mouthpiece, so to mm-hmm. speak, in terms of his play calling. Um, so I get it. But when you couple that with trading two future first round picks and you're in a situation with Mac Jones where if you draft him, that's fine in a vacuum. But, you know, we're in, we're sitting in a in day and age with these quarterbacks where, you know, when they get to their fifth year options and they're getting second contracts, you know, Patrick Mahomes making forty five million dollars a year. Uh, Dak Prescott's making forty million dollars a year. you got several young quarterbacks from the 2018, 2019, 2020 draft classes like a Justin Herbert, like a um, Lamar Jackson, et cetera, that are going to move the market even further up to the yeah. point that when this year's class is going to be free agents and getting their second contract, the going rate for a starting quarterback might be $50 million. Yeah, legitimately. And, yes. And, you know, if you're going to pay a quarterback that much money, and I know the salary cap's going to go up and all that various things, but still, $50 million is a lot of money. I don't care if the salary cap is 250 or $300 million. That's a lot of money to pay to one guy. And if you're paying that type of money to a guy, you, you probably want a guy that's not just a quote-unquote game manager. Even if I think Mac Jones could be one of the better game managers in the NFL, you want something extra. And that's, you know, yeah. that's a big reason why yeah. a guy like Jared Goff, you know, fell out of favor in L.A., even though he had similar conditions with Sean McVay and that defense uh, these last couple of years to be successful. Now, I personally think Mac Jones is a better prospect than Jared Goff was, but it's that sort of situation where whoever the team is drafting Mac Jones, if they get to four years from now, he might be successful, but are you going to sit there and and do like other teams and like the Rams did this specific offseason say, look, Jared Goff's great and all, but Matt Safford's better. We can do much better. We're getting average, you know, do you want to take a quarterback that high that his ceiling might just be like being the 13th best quarterback in the league? Or do you want to take a guy that his ceiling potentially is a top five quarterback in the league? And I, you know, is I think Matt Jones could get top five similar to what Matt Ryan has been in the latter half of his career. But, you know, that's five, seven or more years away. Yeah. And you're, you're not going to necessarily get that immediately on his rookie contract. Like I think some of these other guys at least have the potential to reach. And, and that's one of the reasons why I think Mac Jones is rated lower t- to a lot of people uh, out there. But, you know, the NFL is always weird. Uh, when it comes to quarterback evaluations and, you know, yeah. particularly when it comes to, say, draft Twitter, there's always a player that draft Twitter is much <laughs> higher on than the NFL is. And sometimes they're right about that, like uh, Lamar Jackson, um, you know, Teddy Bridgewater over Blake Bortles. Um, but sometimes the NFL gets it right as well. So, you know, as, as I said earlier, it, it's basically you're just throwing darts at a board and, and, yes. and hoping, uh, you know, these guys turn out good. Yeah, I, I reminded a friend not too long ago that at one point people were pounding the table for Christian Ponder. Um, and I was one of them. I, I I was a big fan of Christian Ponder. Yeah, that, it, I'm, not, I'm not saying that as criticism. It's just it's you know hindsight. We, yeah. To your point, you you really may as well just 
uh, roll the dice and figure out, you know, from that, if that guy's going to be successful or not. And Christian Ponder came out with a ton of, uh, you know, really good tape and, and, and people talking about, you know, his skills and his athleticism and, um, and yeah, you know, he, he flamed out. And I think it's just a reminder that, um, since 2008, we've literally had over 100 quarterbacks drafted in the NFL draft over 100 and you can count probably on both hands the number who have come in in that time frame and have become top tier starters. And I think, you know, the, we've seen a lot come out recently. And I think fans have a little bit of recency bias, um, but there's been a long string of quarterbacks who have come in and have sort of floundered in this league. We were talking about Sam Bradford the other day. My God, that guy made so much money in the NFL mm-hmm. <laughs> for being mediocre. Uh, and yeah, you know, it's, uh, I, I think the points you made about Mac Jones are, are spot on, which in my mind is why he feels like more like a top of the second round prospect, a guy that could come in and maybe he would benefit by sitting behind a Matt Ryan for two or three years instead of, you know, trying to get him in there immediately, uh, so that he can, you know, get used to the game, uh, at the NFL level, uh, without the expectations, uh, that you, you previously mentioned. So yeah, this is, this is going to be really interesting. Um, honestly, it, it does feel like the NFL draft this year starts at pick number four. Um, although I would still argue uh, both uh, the Jets and the 49ers could surprise us with who their pick is going to be. I think a lot of names are being uh, written in uh, pen and it, it should be written in pencil right now because I think the only name that's guaranteed right now in that, that uh, those first four picks uh, is Trevor Lawrence at number one. So yeah. Aaron, uh, always, always enjoy talking to you on this podcast. Um, you know, I've said it before. I'll say it again uh, to our Falcoholic podcast listeners. Aaron is one of the most well-informed and uh, fun to talk to guys, both on Twitter and of course at his podcast. If you aren't listening to Locked On Falcons, you need to do so. Um, a high endorsement from me and from the other Falcoholic writers. We love you to death. Uh, so if you would, Aaron, remind our listeners where they can find you and what you've got going on. Well, uh, I appreciate that DW. And normally I come on here and and at this point in time, talk a little trash, uh, given our podcast rivalry that you are the official now, uh, podcast, but I I will say this, I, I do enjoy coming on this podcast at times like this, because basically People don't have to listen to Locked on Falcons now because you just got three months of content condensed <laughs> into one hour. Um, so I, I do appreciate you, DW, for sort of tricking me into doing that all the time. Um, things that I come on every day for 30 minutes each day, Monday through Friday on Locked on Falcons. Talk all things Falcons. Um, of course, if people do want to check it out, um, they can do so on whatever podcast platform uh, they are currently listening to this podcast on and obviously we're talking draft we've been talking quite a bit about the quarterbacks i got you know episodes coming out about kyle pitts the running backs hopefully i'll get one about the pass rushers at the top of this draft class before we get to the draft so you know some some great content and obviously once the draft actually happens and we finally get to that day that we've all been dreading and uh you know (laughs) the civil war continues on falcons twitter for the next five months um, you know, uh, we'll have some great content in May talking about whoever the Falcons wind up drafting and uh, giving our opinions and, you know, at least from my perspective, lowering expectations because P 
people love hyping up rookies, even though rookies are bad. Um, so <laughs> yes, I, they I are. <laughs> oh, so well said. Um, and thank you again, Eric, for, for joining me on this podcast. Um, as for me, guys, you can find me on Twitter at FalcoholicDW. Updates for this podcast at FalcoholicPod. And, of course, our articles daily at thefalcoholic.com. So for Aaron Freeman of the Locked On Falcons podcast, this is David Walker. Thank you guys for listening in. We'll talk with you next time.